podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Salah. Escape Cancelo. Oh, it's brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Son had a goal and still a beauty. Oh, what a strike from Yuri Tielemans. De Bruyne. And it is Wood. Oh, it's in Nelly Fortress. Still going up. Oh, he's done it again. Gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, EPL Index proudly brings to you the best prediction podcast in the world, a tad predictable, with your host, Riwa Chanakira, and his guest, Riley Finn. It's game week three, and you know what that means. It's time for another brand new episode of A Tad Predictable. Guys, just like Premier League teams, we've been in the transfer window. Um, we had trials for some new pe- some new guests that we were trying out at the beginning of preseason. We had our State of the Nation addresses where we got a couple of um, fans from different teams in the Premier League. They gave us the lowdown on, you know, the expectations for their teams, how their summer window was going, what was left to be done. Uh, and I'm happy to say that at least one of them uh, got really rave reviews and, and has been signed on for the season. Um, and he is my guest today. You've obviously heard it if you listen to the intro um, and shout out cheap plug to John Empire SA at John Empire SA. That's Obi Semenya for the new guest intros. Um, Riley Finch, a young sports journalist, uh, West Ham fan. Riley, welcome back onto the show. And how do you feel about um, being brought on for the year? Well, you know, it was a it was a nervy trial, wasn't it? You know, you, ne- you never know what the crowd uh, are going to get in your head a little bit. The sun's going to be in your eyes, you know, all that sort of stuff. But it's good to see them get a career-ending injury. I managed to, you know, get on the show again. I'm quite excited. You know, predictions is something I do quite a lot. Um, I, I, a couple of years ago, I did a, a blog where I uh, predict. I went up against uh, Lauro. You know, Lauro Laura used to do his predictions for the BBC. Yeah. So um, I used to look at his predictions, look at mine, and then sort of compare who had the better ones obviously blew me out the water so <laughs> hopefully I'm a little bit better this year but um yeah very excited mate very excited to get into it it's uh going to be a very interesting game week some really big games going on some interesting games and uh yeah very looking forward to being back on the podcast yeah yeah always good to sign young and upcoming talent um we don't want our squad to get stale and and we'll discuss <laughs> squads getting stale a bit later on I'm, I'm looking down the run sheet as we speak but um I think I really wanted to focus this podcast specifically on whether or not it is too soon for certain teams to start panicking. Um, fortunately for at least one of those teams, um, and I'm speaking of the first game that we've got on here, they don't really need to worry. Um, but maybe the second team might have some raised eyebrows um, looking at how the seasons start. But we start off with Tottenham versus Wolves. Now, Obviously, Tottenham were involved in probably the game of the weekend. It was the Conte derby. I, I dubbed it the Conte derby before mm. um, in, in last week's episode. Um, and, and I think that's going to stick. 
Um, so if you hear that anywhere else, you heard that here first. Um, but the Conte derby didn't disappoint. Um, and the interesting thing for me is whenever teams draw, the context is really important. So oh, from sure. a Chelsea perspective, they're going to hate that draw. It's more like two mm. points lost. Whereas I feel with how Tottenham played in that game, that was two points gained. Um, and, 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 and they walked out, out of there. Yeah. And they, and they walk out of there really happy. Um, and then from a Wolves perspective, they've looked kind of a bit toothless at the moment. I, I love mm. the young players that they have, the likes of Gibbs mm-hmm. White and, and Neto. They're bringing in Nunes, it looks like as well, which is something that I'm happy for them for because it didn't seem like they were backing, uh, Bruno Large this season, but that would be a big coup for them to get him in. How do you see this Wolves side that hasn't really shown too much this season faring against a Tottenham side who, at the very least, are showing a lot more fight now that Conte is in, in the helm? Yeah, I mean, you know, whether the goal should have counted or not, you know, you're welcome to speculate. But uh, uh, Tottenham, they're a, they're a team that's hard to beat. And, you know, that is something that we haven't seen from them recently. You know, we, we've gotten the whole uh, Tottenham bottle job kind of mantra going on at that club. So it's good to see they've got a bit of grit, a bit of fight, a bit of determination. They're definitely a team to look out for this year. Probably, I mean, they're in my top three, definitely for who are going to be finished top four this season. Um, and Wolves, yeah, I mean, they do look quite stale at the moment. Uh, Jimenez is like a shadow of a player that he once was. Gibbs White still doesn't, I mean, he's more of a 10 than an 8, so he doesn't really fit Wolves' system that much, which is why they've brought in Nunes. And Nunes, by the way, is going to take the Premier League by storm. Neves and Nunes is going to be like one of the best pivots in the league, in my opinion. Um, they also got rid of Connor Cody on loan, which I thought was a, a very strange bit of business. I, I really rate him as a centre-back. Uh, it's always interesting when Spurs play another team with a back five, because when they play teams with a back four, they're, they're able to stretch the pitch so much that it's just it's really difficult to stop them. And you saw that last week with Chelsea, where they were sort of, because they had the same formation, they were just kind of matching each other. So it was quite difficult for them to overload the wings and get Harry Kane involved. So potentially something like that could happen against Wolves. But I mean, it's, you know, it, Tottenham just looked like a, a different level this season and Wolves haven't really performed very well. They were very bad against Fulham last week, I thought, um, even though they do look quite hard to beat Fulham. And uh, I think they, they've lost against Leeds in the, in the opening, was it opening at Leeds they faced in the opening weekend? Yeah. Um, so two very poor results from them. Uh, and then coming up against the Tottenham side, you know, you can only really see a Tottenham victory there, surely. Yeah, I mean, look, Jake, the, um, sorry, look, Riley, no pressure. We had Jake on last week, but no pressure for you here. It's going to be the first um, score line that you are going to give for the show. Um, mm. You've summed it up really well for me. Um, I would be interested to see if Bruno Lodge does go back to sort of a back five opposed to maybe a back four is starting to to lean towards. I, I think that would work well for them, especially away from home. Um, mm. I'm interested to see how Tottenham do when they're the team that's going to have the ball the majority of the time. You see that they usually like to play a bit from the counter-attack. Um, so we'll see there. But your first scoreline for the season, what are you going for in this game? Oh, it's always a tough one. Uh, I think I'm going to go for... I don't. I don't see Wolves breaking that back line for Spurs. I think Romero just looks like an absolute captain. Obviously, Lengley is injured, but he's not taking part too much. I do wonder if Jed Spence might get his first start. I mean, obviously they've been preferring Emerson Royale recently, but either way, I don't see anyone breaking that back line for them. Um, I don't think Wolves will score. I think it's going to be two 0 to Tottenham. I think it will be the end result. 
And that would be a fantastic start for Tottenham, a draw a oh, win definitely. And, and, and a win to start the season off. In previous seasons, I would have been maybe more bullish with Wolves getting um, frustrating Spurs, especially last season. We saw how they they were very stingy with the goals that they did give to, to other teams. But this season's mm. Wolves and the fact that they're not much of a threat up front my only issue is that left-hand side of Spurs' defense, um, I'm yeah. still not happy with it. And I can see them conceding at, at least one from that side of the pitch. Um, I, I've gone 3-1. Um, I, I think that they're going to have more than enough going forward. And, and I'm expecting Kuliszewski to have uh, a far better game in this one. Usually when he has a bad game, he has the next one's going to be pretty decent for his short spell so far at Spurs. So I've gone 3-1 for that one. Um, and as I say, that's one of the teams in Wolves that maybe starting to look at that. Is it too soon to panic? I don't think it is for them. Um, mm. It's just been a slow start and, and they will start getting wins maybe later on not necessarily in this fixture but we move on to Crystal Palace versus Aston Villa and we spoke about um, draws and the context of those going to Anfield getting a draw irrespective of how you get it I think is a fantastic result for Crystal Palace they come against an Aston Villa side who Riley I've not been impressed with them but they've got to win this season <laughs> I yes. don't know what the, I don't know what you make of that Aston Villa side um they they're confusing me at the moment but how do you see Crystal Palace versus Aston Villa shaping up man I don't know I mean like you say I mean from when I was watching uh, Villa versus Everton it looked like a relegation battle sort of level level football uh, when you've got someone like Danny Ings in the side, though, as he did against Everton, you've always got that chance to score. I mean, the turn, the shot, it was just unbelievable. I know Diego Carlos has just got a ruptured uh, calf, Achilles. I think, like that. Yeah. Achilles, yeah. So he's going to be out, and he was really crucial for them against Everton. So bringing in Concer or um, House, maybe, might be interesting. It may, maybe even Chambers. That definitely weakens the back line for me a lot. Um and, and Palace, for me, like they played really well against Liverpool. Uh, obviously, Zaha with an, an amazing breakaway goal. I don't know how this one's going to go. It's a very difficult one. Eze's back, and he looks really, really good as well. And they've just uh, signed Ducore in midfield a couple of weeks ago, and he looked quite good when he played against Liverpool. But like you say, when you go to when you go to Anfield, especially when Liverpool are going to play their possession football that they do, and they had so much of the ball, you just sort of think to yourself, you know if they allow Villa to have the ball and they play on the counter the way they did at Anfield, you can only really see one result. Yeah. Um, look, for me, um, I, I predicted in my fearless predictions at the start of the season with um, mm. executive producer Guy Drinkle that Olise is going to be leading the race for Young Player of the Year come around December time. Um, sure. Obviously, he started the season injured, which isn't great for that prediction. But he did come on against Liverpool, which hopefully means he can now get a season going. Um, I'm really excited for his season. I'm, I'm, as I said on that show, I am the, the, the train driver, the conductor, the ticket checker, um, of the Elise train. Um, I certainly hope he starts in this game. And I think if he does with him, Eze and Zaha, I think the movement of those players is going to cause Aston Villa a lot of problems. And the key thing for me is, it's not going to be an established Aston Villa defense. Um, you've mentioned Costa going out, which means the pairing probably hasn't trained too much together, whichever one it ends up being. 
And I think that's going to be their downfall. I've gone mm-hmm. with a 1-0 Crystal Palace win. It's going to be at Salas Park, one of my favorite grounds to watch football games at. Um, it's just a raucous mm-hmm. atmosphere. But uh, Riley, what scoreline are you going to go for this one? Uh, I'm going to go two one. Actually, I think I think Palace have got a little bit more goals. I mean, I'm tend to go for a draw here because it it does seem like one of those games where, despite Palace being the better side, I would say uh, Villa are, are a little bit of a difficult side to break down when they want to sort of dig their heels in. But you know, like we mentioned before, having Carlos um, leave uh, with the injury, uh, obviously Mings and Concer is kind of an established backline already. They played the majority of last season. So I don't think there'll be too many teething problems, but I just think your quality goes down so far when you lose a player like Diego Carlos. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm going to go 2-1. Like you say, getting Elise in as well. Eze's got his first assist of the season. Zaha his first goal. I think the confidence at a rock in Selhurst Park will will definitely carry them through just, uh, just to get the victory. But if it ended up in a draw, I honestly would not be surprised. Yeah, definitely true with that. Now, let's move on to probably one of the teams that's very much got their red red flags out a lot of concerns um certainly in that category of is it too soon to panic everton are going to be entertaining nottingham forest now i think this game could be absolutely fascinating and could steal the weekend considering the context everton can't afford to lose this game Nottingham Forest are coming into it after a home game where they showed a lot of fight, much to your chagrin. Um, and, and we'll speak about the West Ham side of things. Um, when mm. we get to West Ham, um, there, there was a lot going on that I'm sure West Ham fans will, you know, would have expected to have won that game. You play that game 10, nine, 10 times. West Ham probably won it eight or nine times, maybe. I think it's fair to say. Um, but, Nottingham Forest don't really care about that. They're just happy no. the points the points came in. Um, so they're going to be confident. They look like they're going to be keen to play some football, certainly with those wing backs. And um, IOU up front, who was willing to be a runner um, all day. How is this game going to go? Surely, surely, Riley, Everton are not going to lose this game because then I think it's mm. going to be really, really panic stations for Everton. Well, the interesting thing about Forest is they seem to sign about five new players a week. So <laughs> you actually don't know what Forest side you're going to get. I mean, the side that faced West Ham could be change, you know, six or seven different changes. They just signed Emmanuel Dennis. I think for me, Cheku Kiate, obviously ex-West Ham player, he should go straight in that lineup. But here's the problem is that, you know, you're signing six or seven players a week. Um, and to be fair, I don't even think that's an over-exaggeration. Uh, you're going to have teething problems. You're going to have new partnerships forming. I mean, uh Nico Williams looked very good last week. And obviously that is a position they would have wanted to cover having Jed Spence leave. Well, not leave, but not sign with them fully after his loan spell uh, Middlesbrough. Offensively, they didn't show me too much in that Forest game to make me, as an Everton fan, quite worried. And Onana came on last week for them and he looked quite good to shore up the, the midfield. But it's just, there's just not really an, a lot about Everton at the moment. And, you know, you, you spoke yes, uh, just now about um, Awani or Ao or, um, up front, talking about him being a willing runner. They looked to that number nine so much during that game against West Ham. Uh, whereas in the Everton game, they looked to Anthony Gordon, who is just not a number nine. So it's very difficult for them to actually get anything going because they don't have a fit number nine at the moment. Rondon came on and, and 
didn't really give them too much. Obviously, Calvert-Lewin is still injured, and that's a huge blow for them. They don't look to be getting anyone else in. And I think this has got draw written all over it, to be honest with you. I think two sides that, you know, to be honest, we flattered Forest, And if you watch them against Newcastle, you know that they did not play well at all. So we definitely flattered Forest, And if you watch their goal as well, it wasn't a great one. So I don't think the West Ham game is anything to get too excited for if you're a Forest fan. And I do think the Villa game for Everton is, is a game that you might be looking at and being a bit worried. So for me, I think it's probably going to be a draw, that one. Uh, now, and, more interestingly then, is it a goal-scoring draw or is it going to be a... Well, that's that's the thing. <laughs> I, I, I think it's going to be a 1-1 ball draw, to be honest with you. I mean, when I look at that Everton side, I'm thinking, where are the goals going to come from? I mean, I know Anthony Gordon is, is a decent player. Chelsea have come in for him for about 45 million. I have no idea where that transfer sums come from. But you just wonder, where are the goals going to come from in that side? Bearing in mind as well, they, they didn't even score their goal against Villa. Digne put it in his own net. Um, and then you look at that Forest side and you sort of think, well, Emmanuel Dennis knows where the goal is. If he's playing, uh, then, you know, he knows where the goal is. Awani obviously already scored. A bit of a scrappy goal, but, he, you know, right place, right time. But then I just do worry about that Forest defence. But then again, you look at the, the back five aspect of things. It's quite hard to break down a back five. Uh, one thing they did really well against us is they near Kite man marked Antonio because when you've got that spare centre back, you can afford to do that. But then there's no one to man mark in that Everton forward line because they haven't got a number nine. So it's going to be a really interesting encounter. But yeah, I don't think there'll be too many goals in that one, unfortunately. Yeah, an interesting one, that one. Um, a few things that you've touched on there. I agree with the Anana signing. I don't know how he ended up at Everton. Um, mm. I thought he would have suited West Ham quite well, him and Rice as a pair in midfield. So did West Ham. Really tasty. tasty. Um, so I don't know what happened there. But um, the other thing that you mentioned with regards to um, with regards to Nottingham Forest and, you know, whether or not, you know, they're signing six players a week, you're certainly right. It does feel like that. I think for me at the beginning of the season, it might be fine for them in that the players will be so G'd up to play in the Premier League because um, mm. a lot of them either coming from the championship or coming from other leagues. Um, so they'll have that excitement. I'm interested to see later down the season when the likes of maybe a Dennis or a Lingard start getting benched because we just have too many players. Mm. Are they going to start causing some drama in the dressing room? That could mess things up quite a bit because, mm. as you said, they're signing a lot of players and not they don't have, in my opinion, enough games to cater for all of those players and make everyone happy. So I'm I'm, I'm worried for them for that one. But as I alluded to, beginning of the season, I think they'll be fine. Um, maybe I'm just a doom and gloom person and, and, and I like the red flags. I'm going for another Nottingham Forest win. I'm going for another back wow. back to back one nil wins. And I say this a classic because, Liverpool fan prediction. Here. I know, right? Um the bias is, is seeping through. But the worry for me, as you've alluded to, where are the goals going to come from for mm. Everton? And I think Nottingham Forest are going to be happy to allow Everton to have the ball and pass it in and around them, cross 50 balls into the box, head them out with their three centre-backs and try and get one on the counter. Dennis coming off the bench with his pace, with his sharpness in front of goal, just seems like a recipe for disaster for Everton late on when it's nil-nil. They're pushing for the goal because remember, Mm. they're going to need it. Come 75 minutes, you'll see... 
Everton's shape just go to tatters, in my opinion. And that's when Nottingham Forest are going to capitalize. Um, and guys, if you want to capitalize on an awesome deal, then I highly recommend you link up with our presenting sponsors. Guys, Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. You can check out their services at libertyshield.com. You guys can save with the coupon code EPL25 for 25% off of your router or software VPN. It's a virtual private network, which is a technology that encrypts your internet traffic to protect your online identity, hide your IP address, and shield your online data from third parties. You guys would be able to change your location, avoid geoblocks and government imposed restrictions to access any website, especially with a lot of these 3 p.m. kickoffs. They're not going to be televised in the UK, so you're going to need some way to watch them um, through Liberty Shield. You can change your IP address to maybe the US uh, and watch it via Peacock. Uh, it's a fantastic, fantastic service. Finally, guys, go and check out EPL Index Shop. You can find it on Etsy. If you use the coupon code EPL10, you get 10% off at checkout. Right. So I've, I've done the doom and gloom for Everton. Um, mm-hmm. they're going to be panicking clearly after that result. Take the smile off team- your face, mate. Come on. <laughs> Two teams that probably are okay with their start this season. Um, Fulham and Brentford. I mean, Fulham may be frustrated considering they had a penalty late on not to have a win and a draw next to their name. But if you look at where that other draw came from against a Liverpool side um, who, I'm, I guess I'm not bearing the lead here, are one of those is a too soon to panic teams. Mm. Um, I think that's a decent start. Two draws, um, haven't lost a game yet, undefeated for the season. They could sing that for now whilst they can. Riley, they come up against a very well-drilled, well-coached Brentford side. And there are a few of these well-drilled, well-coached teams in the league that are just causing havoc for other teams. Um, I mean, one of the best days, I, I don't think that's harsh in saying, certainly in recent memory for Brentford, 4-0 home win against Manchester United, where you've wiped the floor with them in the first 45 minutes. I don't know if they could have scripted it any better. Um, in terms of that game and the way it went, are Fulham in danger of facing something similar, or, or do you think they're going to be able to continue with their undefeated streak so far this season? No, I think it's back to reality. I think <laughs> you know, any. I honestly think any. This is genuinely my honest opinion. I think any team that faces United right now is in for a field day. I genuinely feel like that. Um, they're just, you know, we'll, obviously we'll talk about it a bit later. I don't want to talk, focus too much on it. Um, but the, the first two goals were of you know, of uh, Man United's making. Brentford were flattered by the fact that they were 2-0 up in the first sort of 20, 30 minutes. Uh, the other goals they did score, I mean, the, the corner, is a, a corner's a corner, you know, it can go in any time. And obviously a great counter-attacking goal for Inbermo to poke home. But I do think that the scoreline flattered Brentford a little bit. Yes, they played really well. Yes, they walked United off the park, but United weren't even on the park. You know, they were, they were sat on the bench. They, you know, so... I do think it's back to reality for them and they're going to have a, a tough... I actually think they'll have a tougher game here today against Fulham. Um, one big thing for them is that they've already got Mitrovic off the mark and twice, and that's huge for them because big question marks over whether he could do it in the Premier League again. Uh, I think Pereira's just been injured for them and he was playing decently for them. And Babu might be able to get a start. Issa Diop, obviously, as well. They just signed him from West Ham, I expect to see him in the lineup, and he's going to sure up that uh, defence, which has often been Fulham's problems. 
but yeah, Brentford play really good attacking, uh, counter-attacking football. And I do think they are a better side than Fulham. But Fulham have surprised me. They've definitely been my the dark horses this season so far. Not much so in uh, two games in. But I, I definitely underrated them this season. I thought they'd be sort of shoo-ins for relegation. But they, they seem to have been proving me wrong and showing a bit of grit. So it's going to be a very interesting game, this one. But I, I definitely don't think we'll be seeing any uh, headline sort of uh, score lines here, to be honest with you. Yeah, an interesting game. And as you said, Fulham, in terms of surprising people, they're a lot more organised than I expected them to be this season. Yeah. And they've ke- clearly come into the Premier League with a game plan. And as you said, part of that is how well can they integrate Mitrovic into the way they play, we saw last time when they came into the Premier League, he got binned very early on, maybe too soon. Um, mm. Some people may say, so it's interesting to see how long he stays as the focal point. And as long as he continues to score, there's no reason for him not to. Now, Brentford, obviously, as I said, massive win for them last week. The difficulty for me with them in this game is it's very hard to come off of such a high against that Man United team and still have the discipline to give a professional performance against Fulham because they might have been thinking, and and I hope it's not the case for Brentford, but their players might have been thinking, wow, this Man United team, they're there to be got. Let's go out there and give a performance. They're coasting by half time. And then they come up against Fulham, a team that many have said are going to be relegated. And the players maybe don't give as much for this game as, as, as they would have, you know, for the previous game. And, We've mentioned Fulham have surprised people. I think they surprised Brentford in this one. I think they caused an upset. Um, I'm going to go with a 2-1 Fulham win in this one, where Brentford, coming off of that 4-0 win against Man United, aren't as focused and as aggressive as they showed in that game. Um, As I said, Brentford fans, I'm sorry. I hope that I'm wrong. Uh, But I'm I'm worried about the, 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 the energy dump that's going to come in this Fulham game, away from home at Craven Cottage. What's your score prediction? On the flip side, mate, I'm two one Brentford. <laughs> to be fair, I think I think that this is one of those where it goes either way, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? So uh, it could easily be a draw, a win, like and like you know, Fulham will be fired up for the fact that they're still in the Premier League. I mean, look at the performance they gave at Craven Cottage uh, against Liverpool. So you know, it's not going to be an easy game for either side. But I do think Keenan Lewis Potter might get his chance in the team. Um, Obviously, you've seen Ben Mee get integrated in the side. He's done quite well. Aaron Hickey as well as a new left back for them. He got some minutes. Uh, obviously, famously just took out Ronaldo as a classic, <laughs> classic Scottish move. That, but yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna two one Brentford on this one. Uh, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's gonna. I think that's gonna be me. Two one. Interesting. We've mirrored each other for that scoreline. Let's see which one comes out on top. Um, before we go to an ad break, we've got one more game, Leicester versus Southampton. I'm mm. seeing maybe some a, a questionable flag, maybe a, an eyebrow raise for Leicester. It's a loss and a draw to start the season. The same record that Southampton have, a loss and a draw. And I think maybe Southampton's worries are a bit more pronounced considering the uncertainties with Hasenhutl throughout preseason before last season even finished. And then now going into this season... Um, to my knowledge, they still haven't signed a striker, which is just unbelievable for me, um, for Southampton. But these are two sides who haven't started the season great, who have been sort of staple Premier League teams in recent history. 
Um, are they starting to slip? And then is it then a must win for both of these teams just to get their seasons going, really? I mean, if I'm if I'm a Leicester fan, I'm very worried at the moment of what my club is doing. Uh, looks like this would be some, could be some serious outgoings and very little incomings for them. I mean, to downgrade from uh, Peter Schmeichel to to Danny Ward is just it's football terrorism, mate. Like it's I don't know what's going on uh, with Brendan Rodgers that he thinks to himself that I mean Schmeichel's been such a huge part of their club, not just in terms of big saves which he does make, but in terms of just you know, the way he fires up the team, the way he kind of builds from the back. So, I, you know, I think it's a really, you know, sort of poor bit of transfer business from them. But then if I'm Southampton, even more worried, I actually think they could be very, very seriously in danger of going down. I think the only reason, I mean, I think they actually went under the radar last season. They got 40 points, but, you know, they weren't really spoken about much in the relegation battle just because of how bad Everton and Leeds were. They could be in serious trouble this season. I'm very worried. They signed uh, Joe Aribo, who has you know propped up with the goals every now and then scored a blind in pre-season is he going to score as many goals as they need you know Ward Prowse he hasn't quite looked the same as as, as he did last season um obviously when you've got set pieces you've always, always got a chance with him but I don't know I mean if I'm this is going to be a really difficult one because obviously a year ago you would have you would have thought that Leicester are going to spank a team like Southampton but these days I mean Neither have impressed me so far. They shipped four goals against an impressive Arsenal sign last time out. Southampton, I think they drew last time out as well, didn't they, to Leeds 2 all? But I think they were 2-0 uh, up at one point, or were they 2-0 down at one point? They were 2-0 down and clawed it. So, yeah, 2-0 yeah. down at one point. I mean, yeah, to fight back and come through the game like that, that's brilliant. But a 2 all draw with Leeds the last time out, I mean, they haven't looked good at all, have they, so far this season? They've given me nothing. And to lose Brozier and not have replaced him, that's just, I, I don't know what's going on there. Leicester obviously do have quite a few injuries still, but, you know, they've got Fofana back and he looks like he's going to get back into the lineup. Jamie Vardy's starting to play for them again. Um, I, I think they're going to bounce back this game, but it's, they're just, I don't know, it's, it's a really difficult one, this one. It, it's a difficult one. And usually what I'm going to lean towards when I have doubts about you know, the form of a team going into a game. And then I have doubts about whether the manager still has the dressing room. And that's the case for both of these teams. Um, poor form. We don't know if either manager still has the backing of the dressing room. They've been making weird decisions. I'm going to lean towards the team that have the better players, which is Leicester, and just say, because both teams aren't in a groove right now, I'm going to trust individual talent to come out on top. You know, and so I'm going to go with a very scruffy <laughs> Leicester 1-0 win mm. um, where they're sort of just happy to get the points and, and try and figure out something before the window closes or at least have the window shut. If, if I'm a Leicester fan, I'd rather it shuts now than try and oh, bring someone in because I don't trust that any money coming in is going back into the squad this season. But yeah, I've gone for a very, very... um very close one nil scrape of a win for Leicester. And that's purely on the individuals. I'm, I'm very worried about the situation with both managers, the situation with, um, both clubs from, from an off the pitch side of things as well. What about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same mindset, mate. I mean, I'm, I'm two in and throwing from nil nil one nil, but I am going to go for one nil because like you say, I do think that players like Madison and Vardy, uh, and even potentially like Tielemans can get them through a game like this. 
Whereas you look in that in that Southampton side and you think where the goal is going to come from, who's going to be the bright spark, and apart from Ward Prowse and a blinder of a free kick, I don't really see how they're going to be able to get that goal. I, I honestly think it'll be a really poor sort of game. I think it's going to be really devout of class, really devout of kind of chances. But I think I think you're right. I think that Leicester will just about scrape through, and and man, do they need it. And and you know, right again, if you're a Leicester fan. As much as you want incomings, the the, out, the outgoings that seems to potentially be taking place worry me more than than you know the potential to get players in. Tielemans, Madison, Fofana. You lose those three players, you've got two weeks after the window. Who on earth do you replace them with? So really worrying times if you're a Leicester fan. And you know, hopefully they're able to get a win and just kind of give them that tiny little bit of moral boost just before the window sort of starts to end and they start to, you know, like you say, uh take up too many red flags indeed well i certainly hope that you've had a moral boost with the first five games that you've predicted so far get you know get loose a little bit now um but we will take an ad break and we will be back to get riley's thoughts on an interesting statement from david moyes that he made uh, after their first game Right. And we are back. Now, Riley, I teased it at the, you know, before the ad break here. David Moyes had quite the statement after Man City's game. And when I saw, you know, on the schedule that you were coming up soon, I was happy that you were coming sooner rather than later, because I thought it would be interesting to tackle this um, mm. with you uh, um, on the show. But he mentioned in his post-match interview um, against Manchester City, that the team feels a little bit stale and needs maybe fresh blood or something. First and foremost, do you agree with that statement? And if you do, what do you think needs to be done uh, by the club to to kind of address that? I know they've brought someone in this this um, today, actually, at time of recording, but maybe you can talk about us. Uh, does the squad feel stale to you? Yes, it feels very stale to me. Um it almost reminds me of uh, last year when we used to play sort of two matches in a week. So we used to play a Europa League game on a Thursday, go full strength, and we used to play a full strength team on a Sunday. And we just looked so just fatigued. There was just sort of nothing about it. So I think we uh, lost to Brentford very unconvincingly. We drew to Burnley very luckily. And then we got absolutely sort of rolled over by Spurs in those sort of uh, three-week intervals of, of playing in the Europa League. And... Pre-season, we didn't have a very good pre-season, but in that Man City game, you know, you think about the last couple of times we faced Man City and we've really taken the game to them. Uh, we, we played them at the London Stadium and we were 1-0 up, 2-1 uh, up against City um, and we absolutely took the game to them and this was a side that was still challenging for the title uh, and early in the season, we didn't lose them by much. So to come out for that performance, yes, it's only 2-0 and they've got Haaland and, you know, De Bruyne and all these brilliant attackers. But we, it's just the, the manner in which we went about it. We just, we, there was nothing about us. And, you know, you can tell from the Nottingham Forest game, yes, we had a bit more quality. But again, we still look really stale. Players like Jared Bowen, Creswell, Suchek, just nowhere near where we need to be. But, you know, the, the second part of needing fresh blood, that, that is something I uh, to, don't really agree with to an extent. I think we do need to upgrade on players like Suchek and Creswell. But, you know, if, if Jared Bowen is not having a good day, if Antonio is not having a good day, if Zoom is not having a good day, if nobody's having a good day, the, the you know getting new faces through the door isn't necessarily going to help that. You know, yes, it's a short-term solution to say, well, 
Antonio and Ben Rama haven't played well in the City games to put Corne and Skamaka on in the next game. But, you know, we're a squad. We we need to be playing as well as we did last year. We need to be shaking off whatever's going on for us at the moment. I don't know whether Danny Dyer and Jared Bowen are going for a bit of a rough patch at the moment or whatever's going on, but um, he, he, he looks an absolute shadow of a player was last year. So I do think we definitely look stale. And I think Moyes had to make those comments because it just really wasn't good enough. Against such a world-class side, yes, but it just really wasn't good enough. Yeah, we, we certainly expected um, City to have a very tough game there based on what we saw last season. I know, for example, Liverpool struggled against West Ham. Just the fight that they showed in the games was mm. uh, a lot to handle. Um, yeah, the, the the interesting thing for me with regards to you mentioning the fresh blood, um, I wonder, do, does a statement like that sort of show how Moyes is projecting things to the team? Do you think they can feel that he feels the team is stale and maybe that bleeds onto the pitch a little bit? Um, I think potentially. I mean, he, he did say in an interview very recently as well that he needs more Dimitri Payet type players. Um, and, and, you know, funnily enough, we are actually linked with Dimitri Payet at the moment. <laughs> uh, so I guess he meant that quite literally. But <laughs> we don't really have that Dimitri Payet for us at the moment. He's very right. We don't have that guy, that that creative. Maybe it's the number 10 role that he's kind of, sort of going through because Lanzini's a more of a deep lying number 10. He sort of picks the ball up from midfield to allow sort of Rice to one occupy the space and then Suchet to kind of run in the number eight role. So maybe that maybe that's what he's alluring to, the fact that he needs a better number 10 or just that he needs players who are going to show a bit more magic. You know, we, we don't have that. And it was Jared Bowen kind of last year, but even he went blank at some points. But every time Dimitri Pyatt stepped onto that pitch, it, you know, you knew something was going to happen. We don't really have that player at the moment. We don't have that bright spark you can just put on in a game and you think well he's going to do something he might not score but he's going to create something or do something and towards the end of the last season it was Jared Bowen but you know maybe that was just a purple patch you know who, who can say but for me it, it can bleed onto the pitch and I think you know it could even be a, a statement of you know you need to kind of show up a bit I mean Ben Rama was superb against Forrest and he was he obviously didn't even start against uh, City. So again, this is maybe a statement to say that these players need to actually just show up a little bit. Um, yeah, it's difficult to say with Moyes because he, he doesn't normally sort of allude to much, does he? He's very spiky in his post-match interviews. He'll never give a straight answer. So for him to come out and say that, I think is, is one, very honest, but two, I think is is very good for us because we haven't played well recently and we don't want to be stuck in a kind of rut um, but yeah, hopefully things do unstale, I guess, because we just need, wherever it is, we just need to shake it off at the moment and get back to the side that we know we, we can sort of be. Yeah. And, and as you said, the likes of the Bowens, etc. you know, last season at times, he makes you at least sit up in your seat, you know, whenever he touches the ball, because something mm. could happen. Um, certainly a player that makes people sit up in their seat this season. And he is probably one of the most owned players on fantasy football if you don't own Gabriel Jesus at the moment at his price with what he's doing at Arsenal being sort of that sparky player that's trying to you know galvanize that Arsenal young Arsenal squad um I I, I don't know what you are doing on fantasy but they go to Bournemouth uh Bournemouth versus Arsenal is our next game Riley now Bournemouth um a loss and a win uh to start their season Decent. I think that's a that's a solid start for Bournemouth. One of those teams um, that were probably more so than any other team 
thought to be, you know, one of the teams that's going to be struggling this season, but they have that win on the board. It's a lot more than we can say for certain teams. Um, mm. Now, they come up against an Arsenal side that I don't think any anything can go wrong for them at the moment. I mean, even William Saliba scoring an own goal, they go and score straight away just to sort of cancel it and, and not let that bleed maybe into the rest of the game. Um, do you see this being a tough game for Bournemouth? I mean, as I said, they've got the loss and the win, but they're coming up against an Arsenal side who we know when Arsenal gets streaky, they look unstoppable. Um, it, you know, when it comes, when, when it, when it goes wrong, it goes horribly wrong at Arsenal. And it, sometimes it takes two or three games for them to get it right again. But at the moment, they're in one of those streaks. How long can they keep it going? Oh, mate. I mean, it's hard to say because it is Arsenal Football Club. But, you know, you look at, I'd love to see Arsenal play a team like City at the moment just to see, because, you know, so far they have played uh, Leicester and Palace and they did underwhelm a little bit of Palace, but they still played very well. Um, but you would say those are two teams that if you're Arsenal, you really should be beating. I'd love to see them play a team like Chelsea or Spurs or City at the moment because they just look amazing. They look so good. Um, getting a player like Gabriel Jesus in, I I think that's the signing of the summer and, he, and he's going to prove it this season. Two's just a start for me. Martinelli coming in, he looks sharper than ever. Saka's not quite got off the mark yet, uh, but he looks to be very good. Zinchenko's integrating the team very well. They're a very together team, aren't they, Arsenal? You know, they, you can tell there's a lot of passion there. There's a lot of fight for the badge sort of going in. And, and yes, he scored an own goal last week, but Saliba's also looked very solid when he has played. Well, you know, with Bournemouth, they uh, Solanke is injured at the moment, I do believe, still. So, for them, that is going to be a bit of a concern. Where are the goals going to come from? They have got quite a lot of injuries. Fredericks as well, is signed from West Ham. He's still injured. Uh, I think Zamora as well is still injured. So, their back line's a bit weak. Uh, yeah, I I can't see any problems going wrong for Arsenal here. The City made it look like a training session against them last week, Bournemouth, and I think Arsenal will do something similar this week. To be honest with you, yeah, I definitely think so. What scoreline have you gone for this one? Three nil, three nil. I've gone for this one. I think they could they could underwhelm in terms of a two nil, but they just look so creative at the moment, they, and I do hope they do because you know, like everybody else. Jesus is in my fantasy football team. So it would be lovely if he got a couple more points for me this week. Um, but yeah, I think 3-0 is a, is a very sort of balanced result. I honestly think they could get a lot more than that, though, to be honest. Yeah, it, it it could almost be anything Arsenal wanted to be in this game, it seems like. But we are certainly in sync because we've gone back to back with the same score lines here. Mm. Um, I've got 3-0 written down here as well. So that's a good omen for Arsenal. But Let's move on to our next game. It's Leeds United versus Chelsea. Now, points-wise, it's been a great start for Leeds, a draw and a win. But context-wise, I think the Wolves game, I don't think either team deserved to win that game personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and then last week, they had the 2-0 lead against Southampton. Southampton clawed them back. That should be cause for concern. And then... Just to, you know, maybe pour more cold water onto my my Leeds United take, I guess. Maybe, you know, sorry, Leeds fans. It seems I'm hating on you here. But Patrick Bamford gets, you know, he walks off the pitch injured. Now, Jesse Marsh has suggested that he came off as a precaution rather than necessarily a serious injury, that he felt something. Um, obviously, you know, they're going to be very cautious with him. But if it is that scenario that they've said to him, look, if you feel anything at any point in a game, just come off. 
rather come off. We'll assess it, see what happens, and then would rather bench you for then two weeks and get you back on than having you miss, you know, three, four months like like what then happened last season. So that's one to watch whether or not it is a serious injury or not. And then Chelsea on the other side, I mentioned earlier in the Conte derby, um, they came away with that thinking we've we've lost two points. Not even just lost. They I'm pretty sure Chelsea fans think they got robbed of of those two points. Um two controversial goals from Spurs, maybe one more than the other than the other. Um, but how do you think Leeds are going to fare against a Chelsea side who, for me, everywhere on the pitch, bar up front, I think look really solid. Mm. I just don't know if they're going to get enough goals in games. And we saw that in the Spurs game where Chelsea don't get that second or third goal just to give themselves a bit of a space from the other team. They're going to keep a lot of games at 1-0 for way too long that it's going to give the other team confidence and give them a chance to get a draw in a game. Um, I don't know if that's going to be the case in this one, but for the rest of the season, that's one thing I think Chelsea need to worry about. What do you see when you look at Leeds versus Chelsea? Well, I mean, yeah, look at look at where um, Chelsea's goals came from last week, both from defenders. I mean, not not as bad in terms of Reese James because that's kind of what you expect from his game now. He's almost like a a right winger at times. But you know, Kula Bali. I mean, <laughs> some strike as well, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. just out of absolutely nowhere. But Sterling, he's caught a blank again. Um, I don't know why they're not playing Brozier up front. I think that's what they need. They need a big number nine for Sterling to play off of. And and same with sort of if they play like Ziyech or uh, you know maybe the likes of Pulisic. But for them to get rid of Werner, I thought was was poor from them too. Uh, even even him playing as a right winger, I think there is a lot more for him to show. I, I, I think a lot of Chelsea fans are actually a bit disappointed that both Lukaku and Werner have both left, and it doesn't seem like they're going to get a striker anytime soon. Uh, although they are linked to obviously a Bamiang at the moment, but with with Leeds, I think they're kind of their rhetoric of being a a team that's going to outscore you is sort of gone now from the Bielsa sort of era. Like they they have definitely adopted what Jesse Marsh's system is. Uh, it's a tough one for them. Obviously, they've had a lot of um, losing Rafinha and Phillips. It was always going to be some hard uh, shoes to fill. Sinestra and Tyler Adams, though, are, are good. And, um, oh, man, I can't remember his name now, but you know the uh, United States player that's just Adams. fine for them? That, sorry? Adams, is it? No, not, not Tyler Adams. He's, he's, uh, he's the attacker. I think he begins with like an A or something. I can't remember his name, but he uh, he's been playing very well for them recently. So I do think they will score. Uh Oh, God, it's annoying, I can't remember that. But you do look at Chelsea and you sort of think to yourself, you know, where are the goals going to going to come from necessarily if it's not from the front three? Uh, but I do I do think they will score quite a few goals. I still think Leeds have a lot of holes in their defence. They, they haven't really invested too much in their defence this season, which is definitely somewhere they needed to. There's still a couple of problems, with Je- uh, teething problems with Jesse Marsh's system and adopting the way that he wants to play. I mean, shipping two goals against Southampton, you know, we spoke earlier about where their goal is going to come from. To let them score two is, yeah, it's, it's not very good. So for me, I, I can only see a Chelsea win here. I think uh, I think Leeds might do something crazy, like take the lead. And then I think Chelsea will, will fight back and, and win 3-1. That's what I'm kind of thinking uh, for this sort of game. Interesting stuff. Um, maybe Brendan Aronson? I think that's the one there, yeah. Okay, that's cool. Right, so score prediction for that one, sorry? Uh, 3-1 I'm going for. 3-1 to Leeds, right? Chelsea. 
<laughs> yeah, I think I think I think Leeds uh, I think Leeds will score the first goal and sort of shock Chelsea a bit. Um, but then I do think Chelsea will peg them back and it'll be three one and it'll be business as usual for them. Interesting stuff. Um, I've gone two one, so slightly closer. Um, as mm-hmm. I said, as we've kind of alluded to, the golds where they come from is a bit of a concern for Chelsea. I don't know if that this game is the one they figure it out in, but. If it's Leeds from last season, Chelsea might be able to figure out their goal issues in this yes. one. But let's move on to what I'm assuming is the main event for you. Um, West Ham versus Brighton. Nope. <laughs> no, nope. nope, not look, for me. Look, from my perspective, right, um, especially if we can get a performance from West Ham that we saw last season from them, that they became you know famous for last season, I've been very big on Brighton's midfield. I think it's a very combative, tidy, well-orchestrated midfield, obviously a very well-coached team. And I'm loving games that they're playing against good midfields or competitive midfields. Now, last season, West Ham's midfield, the physicality that they brought into games, they could dismantle any midfield. Now, I'm interested to see if... West Ham's midfield can bring that physicality back for this game because I'm very worried if they don't against what, uh, you know, a Brighton side who I think a lot of their games are won in midfield could cause West Ham problems. Is that, is that a concern for you? And, and, and then if you could then let us know whether or not West Ham qualifies as one of those, is it too soon to panic red flag teams? Oh, mate. I mean, as a West Ham fan, I'm always panicking. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Caicedo is a, a brilliant midfielder. And having Pascal Gross as the number eight arriving late into the box, he's a he's a big worry for you. I, mate, I don't know. I mean, this is our, this is literally the definition of a bogey team. There is zero reason as to why Brighton have beaten us as many times as they've done, as uh, drawn against as many times as they've done. But in the Premier League, we haven't beaten them in ten games. Never. We've never beaten them in the Premier League since they've wow. been promoted, uh, uh, you know, five or six seasons ago. They are our bogey team to a T. And any time a West Ham fan brings up a Brighton, uh, uh, you know, next week old, next week's Brighton, no, no, no West Ham fan is predicting a win unless they are, you know, just com- completely sort of deluded. And even on the last day of the season, I said, look, I guarantee to you, Man United will lose at Palace and we will lose against Brighton and that will be our Europa League dreams gone and that's exactly what happened so it's a shame we didn't need predictions for that day <laughs> um, yeah the midfield concerns me the forwards concerns me the defence concerns me the goalkeeper concerns me everything about Brighton right now concerns me they're in a really good sort of turn of form we are not uh, but you know like you say when we played against Forest, we definitely showed a lot more what we're about um, it's a shame someone like Bowen wasn't able to have a good game the way sort of Ben Rama did just to sort of alleviate some of those worries. But, you know, nine times out of 10, we win that game. And how we, you know, forget how we didn't win the game or draw the game, how we didn't score is just, you know, madness to me. Um, but we are we are playing Viable tomorrow night uh, in the Conference League in the qualifying stages. You know, if we can get a win there, maybe that'll give us a little bit of hope coming into Sunday. Hopefully it doesn't overstretch the squad too much. Obviously, we've got Tilo. Kahera, I think his name is, coming in. So we won't have to feel too at uh, one centre-back anymore, which is really, really lovely. Um, but we also do really struggle against three at the back formations and the sort of wing-back formations. I know Brighton just signed Eustupian uh, from Villarreal. Whether he plays or not, I mean, he he looks a really good player. 
Um, and obviously having players that we're always really bad against low-driven shots, Fabianski, players like Trossard are going to have a field day. Danny Welbeck as well, I think, is going to cause us so many problems. So, yeah, I'm not a very optimistic West Ham fan at the moment, mate. And uh, even worse, considering I will be at the game on Sunday. So, oh, All right. You know what? Just for well wishes and just for the fact that you're going to be at the game, um, mm. I'm, I'm going to go with my heart a little bit here instead of my head um, because I, I really like the way Brighton have started the season. Um, I, I think they're, as I said, one of the most well-coached teams um, coming up against a West Ham team that has to, sh- they have to react. They have to show yeah. something in this game. Um, I, I had predicted a 2-1 Brighton win, but you know what? Because you're going to the game, because I I, I want you to enjoy it and, and, you know, be able to come back on the show when you do come back with a joyous um, recount of the game. I'm going to flip my score. I'm going to go 2-1 West Ham. I'm not confident. I'm, I'm going with my heart here. Um, are you going to join me? No, mate. I'm going with what you would go originally and I'm going for 2-1, which is what I, I would have predicted. Um, so I think you've, you know, I, I don't know if I've got the puppy dog eyes on at the moment or you know whether you just, you know, in your big, your big Liverpool sort of jumper, you're sitting there thinking to yourself, feeling sorry for the little guy. But, you know, we're not going to get a result against Brighton. Honestly, I'm telling you now, a draw against Brighton and most West Ham fans would be happy with that. Um, and I think that is probably not the best we can hope for, but that is definitely what the aim should be for Sunday. I honestly feel like we've got more chance beating any other team in the Premier League than, than Brighton Football Club. So, you know, I appreciate your well wishes, but when I'm back on the show and, um, you know, reality resumes, you know, you might be regretting that one. Look, um, Liverpool have more than enough to worry about themselves. I, I don't have to share my worries <laughs> with other teams. Um, but let's move on to a team that certainly has no worries so far this season and seems to be taking this league at a canter. Um, I hope I'm not being disrespectful to the likes of Arsenal, who are also with two wins this season. But Manchester City, now they come up against Newcastle at St. James's Park. On paper, this game could go horribly wrong for Newcastle because, you know, Man City going to the game last week, Haaland has six touches and yet they still score four goals. That just shows the strength of that Man City team. Mm. But based on sort of the magic of St. James's Park, with the likes of St. Maximan on the counter-attack, are you giving Newcastle? I'm looking at your face there. I'm I'm trying desperately to big up Newcastle here, but you, you're not giving them a chance in this one. I don't think any team has a chance against City the way they're playing at the moment. I mean, look, Newcastle are a well-drilled side, so I definitely don't think it will be a hammering that they get at St James's Park. But I just I can't see any team matching what City do at the moment, and and it's odd because you'd you'd have thought most teams would just play counter-attacking football against City. Um, you know the fact that the way their fullbacks push so far up the up the pitch and overload the wings, you would have thought, well, just you know, keep someone up the other end of the pitch and just you know play on the counter attack. But it doesn't work. It just no one can break through that city side. They've scored six goals so far this season, haven't conceded yet. I don't think they're going to concede in this one. They honestly could walk the league. And I know we don't want to talk about alarm bells ringing too soon, but you know potentially. Two straight draws and the league could be done for Liverpool. You know, it's, we're, they're facing that kind of monster at the moment. Um, yeah, like I said, Newcastle are, you know, no disrespect to Newcastle. They're a well-drilled, 
well-drilled side. Um, they're very physical as well. Uh, playing against someone like Haaland, they're going to need to be. But I do think they're going to leave a bit too much space in, in behind for someone like Haaland, and that is where he really excels. Um, yeah, I, I can only I can only see a, a Man City victory here. The question is just how many. But uh, interesting to see how many you do think they are going to win by. Yeah, look, the the thing for me is I, I was trying to pick up Newcastle, but the reality of the situation is, and, and you mentioned no disrespect to Newcastle, I don't think any team playing against Manchester City should take disrespect in, you know, people predicting a, a high score in, sure. in that game. And my worry for Newcastle is the freakish acceleration of Haaland. Um, Sven Botten is not one of the fastest defenders. That's one of his weaknesses in my opinion, mm. is being quick off the line. And I can see, if, if I'm Haaland, I've, I've scouted that, I'm going to play on his shoulder the entire game and I'm mm. going to get chances galore. I think we see Haaland's first hat-trick of the season. So not only wow. am I predicting a 4-0 win for Manchester City, I'm predicting Oof. a Haaland hat-trick in this game. He didn't score last time. He, he only got the six touches. And look, he doesn't need to touch the ball a lot in Man City. That's not what he's there for. It's not like Jesus at Arsenal where he has to link up the play. Haaland just needs to stand there and bang them in. That's all he has to do. Don't worry about how many touches you get. The pundits will worry about it because it's flashy and it's a thing to, to put up, you know, on, on, at halftime and all of that stuff. But he doesn't care. He just, he's just there to score goals and win them the Champions League. So he's going to get a hat trick in this one. I've gone 4 0. Does that change your scoreline in any way? No, I mean, I, I was always going for, I, I'm going for 3 0. Um, and I think that's a respectable result, to be honest, for any team that's facing Manchester City. I think, as a West Ham fan, to leave that ground 2-0 down, I, I, I take that, considering how good Haaland is, how good De Bruyne is. Still got the likes of Greenish, Mares who haven't got off the mark. Phil Foden, I mean, what a footballer he is. Um, I, he, he gets drowned out by the talents of like Riyad Mahrez and Kevin De Bruyne, and now Erling Haaland. But he, he's an absolute just monster of a footballer. He's brilliant. I think that he'll have a big uh, game to show. And I'd love for Haaland to get a hat-trick because um, he's just been signed by the Riley Finch uh, <laughs> FBL team. So, you know, big weeks from Jesus and Haaland would be very nice for me. Um, yeah, I think it can only be a win. How many? I'm saying three. Interesting stuff. Well, we've been building up to this game the entire podcast because we've been teasing the amount of teams that have red flags that are starting to wave some eyebrows, not necessarily red flags. For me, it's unquestionable. Both these teams, Man United versus Liverpool, on Monday night, when the whole world is watching, this is the red flags derby. We had the Conte derby last week. This, for me, is the red flags derby. When the season was starting, when Man United then go on to lose to Brighton, then they get dismantled by Brentford, people were looking at this game like Liverpool could do whatever they wanted in this game. And this was before we saw them play against Crystal Palace. So you could imagine the, the the glee from Liverpool fans, the memes that were going around, the terror maybe from Man United fans, or maybe some of them were defiant. We've seen Liverpool struggle at the start of the season. Um, Darwin Nunes gets a red card before a game against the likes of Martinez, which I think would have absolutely favoured him. This was mm. a game he was made for against Man United where they seem to want to start to play from out the back, but they don't quite know how to yet. 
I think Nunes would have feasted in this game. So that's his loss. Um, immature performance from him there. What do you have to say for this game? Because as I said, the red flags derby, both teams are not looking impressive at all. Not the start that either of them were expecting this season. From a Liverpool perspective, um, you know, I think Klopp made huge mistakes, huge errors in, in that Crystal Palace game. Starting Nat Phillips, knowing Zaha is going to play for, for Crystal Palace just is a recipe for disaster. The guy, you know, for me, I've always said he's a championship player, Nat Phillips. He shouldn't be anywhere near the Liverpool squad. He's a cult hero for certain Liverpool fans because he, he always has that, that physicality and, and he's very good at heading the ball away, etc. Fair enough, but not for me, not, not the standards that we need. Um, now with Nunes away, we know Firmino didn't have a great game on the first day of the season. Liverpool could come up with a very interesting formation. We don't know how they're going to start, you know, that game. Are you, are you giving, you know, uh, what are your thoughts on this game? I'm I'm so confused because Man United have lot, not looked good at all, but this is not the Liverpool side we thought would be playing Man United. No, I mean, yeah, Liverpool have looked very much off the mark. I think coming to, you know, the first game of the season against the Fulham side, you can understand them drawing, to be honest, because Fulham have just come out. They feel like they've got a point to prove. Sometimes the occasion gets to you. Sometimes, you know, the team, the crowd behind you just just manages to play better. And obviously you did give away a penalty as well, um, which isn't always helpful. But then you go into the Palace game and, you you know, you leave that much space in behind for a player like Zaha to capitalise on. I mean, you you talk about Nat Phillips, but it was Van Dijk who sort of let him uh, shoot on goal to the near post who Alisson just didn't manage to get there in time. And then, you know, brilliant goal from Luis Diaz. And I think he's going to be one of your key players this season. I, I think he's like for like for Mane in terms of he just comes in and he'll just start scoring goals and doing what he does best. But yeah, really strange decision from Nunes to to do that. Clearly, uh, Anderson just got in his head. You know, all day they were wrestling, all day he was pushing him about. And I thought Nunes was a bit more physical than that. But Anderson obviously made him look like Martinez because he was just throwing him about. Um and I don't know how they do it in the Portuguese league, but unfortunately in the Premier League, headbutts aren't really allowed very often. Uh, hair pulls are allowed, though. He hair pulls are allowed. That's why he wears a, a ponytail, you know, just in case anyone's uh, pulling his hair. But yeah, the um, the headbutting was uh, unfortunately spotted and he was red carded. He has obviously apologised since. I think someone like Diego Jota comes straight into that Liverpool team. You know, don't mess about with someone like Firmino. Get, know where your goals are coming from and they're going to come from someone like Jota. Man United just looks, I mean, what do we say about Manchester United, you know? I mean, playing against Brighton, you're all, we shouldn't even be shocked, really, to be honest with you. You know, Brighton losing, uh, winning against United should not be as, as shocking as it is. You know, Brentford just dismantling that uh, that United side should not be as shocking as it is because they have been abysmal for the a good portion of the season. I mean, you know, when, they, when Ragnick took over from them, they look relegation form. And right now they look relegation form. If that team wasn't called Manchester United and it was called someone else, they generally would be thinking to themselves, you know, could we be relegated this season? They've showed nothing so far. Um, Ronaldo, uh, and it's a disjointed dressing room as well with someone like Ronaldo, uh, who may or may may not be leaving the club. He may or may not be starting. And and Ten Hag, obviously, it's going to be a very long project for them. 
it could be a Chelsea type season where, uh, you know, under Mourinho, I think it was that they finished sort of 10th in the league and then Conte took over and they, you know, won the league the next season. So it could potentially be a kind of that kind of season for them. But I mean, the fact that either Liverpool or United could be winless after three games in the Premier League, because it's going to be one of them, like, you know, both can't win. I mean, what what a crazy time we live in, Tad. But I'm leaning, obviously, to a Liverpool win. But whether it's going to be dismantling that we sort of saw last season, I honestly am not sure. Yeah, I'm not confident on a dismantling. Um, I just need a little bit more from Klopp. And look, Liverpool fans can take things to the extreme. Just because you criticise Klopp, it doesn't mean you're Klopp out or anything silly like mm. that. I just think he had a bad day and, and he's not perfect. I mean, he has bad days as well. Um, yeah. As a, as, a, as a Liverpool fan, um, yeah. some of the excuses that he sort of comes up with, do you kind of you know think to yourself that that's a bit sort of sort of poor for him to make excuses like that or do you kind of agree where he's coming because he does seem like a manager who's always sort of you know scheduling uh you know the, the pitch was too dry you know uh, obviously rival fans always banter clock for that kind of sort of stuff but as an actual Liverpool fan do you kind of sit back and think you're kind of making this look a bit like a joke here by saying stuff like that the thing for me though is um I, I've I've seen through Klopp for a while. It's his style of management. He lies a lot in the media. What he says in the media is not necessarily what he's saying to his players. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of that is to try and deflect um, the the pressure off the players and kind of put it on himself. So especially like, for example, injuries. He'll tell people, oh, yeah, Matip's not that seriously injured. He'll be back soon. And then we won't see Matip for two, three months. Or he'll say, you know, the pitch was a bit dry, you know, oh, the scheduling is, it's all part of his management uh, style. Um, you shouldn't take too much, he says, in media quite seriously. Um, he, you know, he's mentioned stuff like Divock Origi is the best finisher he's ever played, you know, he's ever coached. He, he had, he coached Lewandowski. So I, how much am I going to take from, from a comment like that? So I'll he, be spot on personally, but <laughs> look, I love Divock, but, um, come on. Look, yeah. So, so me personally, I, I never really take anything he says in the media too seriously because to me, mm. it seems like he does it on purpose in, in, in fabricating some stuff and lying and, and stretching things a bit too much. Um, so yeah, for me, it doesn't bother me too much, but I will say this for Liverpool fans. And I said this before Klopp came in and, God forbid it ever gets to this point, but everything that you love about Klopp will be everything that you hate about Klopp if things go bad. So these type of excuses, for example, when when you're winning, it's funny, it's great. Mm. When you're losing, it's very frustrating. So, yeah, exactly. So it will be interesting. As I said, I I think they can still. There's. I don't think it's too much of a red flag at the beginning of the season from a season standpoint. I do think that um, I predicted that City were going to win the league. I just didn't think Liverpool did enough in the transfer window, specifically that right-sided midfield role. Maybe they address it before the window closes. I'm not optimistic they do. So I I still think that City were going to w- win the league just on squad depth this season and, and the injuries us- um, Liverpool usually get, especially if you believe Klopp. Um, so that's not a concern for me. I just need this team to start gearing up when the other Cups 
I'll get going. Um, cause I've kind of, you know, top four for me this season, it seems like for Liverpool, uh, and then try and win as many of the other cups as possible. That, that, that's sure. my expectations. Um, I know not all Liverpool fans feel that way. That's fine. That's your opinion. More power to you. But for this game, at least, I think, I do think Man United score in this one. If I'm Man United, I don't even start Ronaldo. I put Rashford up front. I put whoever the second and third fastest wingers are, I put them on the wings and I play 500 defensive minded players. Don't try and please Ronaldo anything. Just sit back and try and get Liverpool on the counter attack. We've seen it work time and time again against Liverpool, especially when they don't have the likes of Thiago available. You're going to cause them problems. Rashford, I know, hasn't played well and performed well for United for a while, but if you want a game for him to perform well, put him up top against this team and try and get him some goals on the counter. I think a Man mm. United loss, though, unfortunately for them. I'm going 2-1 to Liverpool, um, but I'm not confident at all in this game. Riley, what about for you? I mean, it's in- it'd be interesting to see the reaction after, um, obviously, Ten Hag made them run 13.2 kilometres, I think, uh, during extra training on Sunday. You know, Would that inspire you as a player to be like, I need to do more? Or would you kind of be like, well... That's a little bit pointless, isn't it? You know, you're training four 0 in the second half. Are you really busting a gut to kind of get four goals back? You know, you see that for me. You know, I wonder what sort of reaction the United players are going to have. Also, with the disgruntlement of the board, supposedly there's going to be a big protest. Supposedly there's going to be some walkouts. I think just you know, all over the pitch, from from the director's box to the players on the pitch to the coaching staff to the ground to the fans. It's going to be a tough day for Manchester United. And I, do, I think Liverpool win 3-1. I think the disgruntlement of the fans, the pressure of the game, the fact they haven't been playing well, I think this is where Liverpool are going to think to themselves, look, you know, this is our, this is, this is Manchester United. We, will, we want to beat Manchester United. They're our rivals. Um, you know, we need, we need to really just sort of put a statement out. You know, we've, we've drawn against Palace. We've drawn against Fulham. You know, Man City, Man City think they've probably won the league already. And so do a lot of our fans. We need to put a statement out. Uh, not that it's much of a statement to be United, but to put a statement out, a 3-1 victory is, is what I'm going for. I think they'll just find that extra gear. Um, and, and with all the sort of extra stuff going on during that game, I think that, you know, it's going to it's gonna really get in United's heads and it's going to be a really tough game for them. Interesting stuff. Well, at the very least for United, for them, I think it's crucial they score first in this game. Because if they don't, as you said, that it's just going to be absolutely toxic in that game. But... Riley, that's going to do it for another episode of A Tad Predictable. Do you have anything you want to plug, put over or promote before we wrap up? Uh, no, apart from uh, just, you know, obviously at Finchy Riley on Twitter and uh, just uh, at the West Ham way as well on Twitter. Obviously do uh, live streams there, just regular videos, sort of every five, six videos every week. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a West Ham fan, you're probably quite interested. If you're not, then you're maybe not as interested. But uh, tomorrow night, I'm also doing a live stream uh, for the Viborg game, which will be interesting. So I'm not going to predict that one because God knows what's going to happen. Uh, but, yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, from my end, guys, go and check out EPL Index website. There's match previews, post-match reviews. 
player performances, all of the news that you guys could wish for, especially during a transfer window. Of course, there's the daily podcast show. It's the Two Footer Podcast with Dave Hendrick. Uh, finally, also go and check out the flagship show that runs weekly. It's the EPL Roundtable where Kev DeVries sits down with panelists from respective EPL teams. They do reviewings um, of the happenings around the EPL. I was on the show last Sunday. It was a really good show. Um, we discussed the Man United situation in depth. On, so if you want to hear my thoughts fully on that one, go listen to that show. Um Guys, go and follow at a tad predictable on Twitter. Go follow at EPL Index on Twitter. Subscribe to EPL Index podcast channel on your podcast providers. Give us five stars. Write some positive comments. That stuff really goes a long way. I've been to the Uchinakira. You can find me on Twitter at tad predicts. Huge thank you to Obi Semenya. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, he does our guest intros. He's at John Empire SA. Our producer behind the glass, Mr. Guy Drinkle. He's at Guy Drinkle on Twitter. He's been Riley Finch at Finchy Riley on Twitter. F-I-N-C-H-I-E-R-I-L-E-Y. And remember, Chisinga Perry. Chinochura. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Son had a goal and still a beauty. Oh, what a strike from Yuri Tielemans. De Bruyne. Sports Social Podcast Network.